Come on, why don't you pray with me? Lord, speak to my heart. Ask him, Lord, speak to my heart. Change my life today. Speak to me today, Lord. Change me. In your precious name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. You just praised him with me this morning. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know that um, prepare the way. Uh, just, you know, there's certain, I don't know about you, but there's certain phrases in the worship and songs that we sing that just get lodged in my spirit. And uh, you know what I'm talking about during the week, you find yourself repeating that phrase. It may not even be the whole song, it's just a phrase of a song. And it just, it, it, the Holy Spirit just captures that and it just gets stuck and speaks to you throughout the week. Anybody? And that, that word, uh, if, if it doesn't, it should. <laughs> uh, it should happen. And uh, I would, if, make room for that in your life. Make room for the Holy Spirit to do that. I wake up singing the songs that we, we've sang on Sunday. I wake up throughout the week singing the songs of the Lord. So it, I just want to encourage that. But anyway, prepare the way of the Lord is that phrase just is lodged. It's one of those phrases just lodged in my spirit. You know, I believe that the, the Lord wants to do a supernatural work in our generation. And, uh, you know, we've, it's been, if you go back to the 90s, I wanna, we're starting a new series this morning. Let me say this. We're starting a new series uh, this morning called The Day of His Glory. And uh, I, I hope that you dig in from now over the next eight weeks. I'm going to be digging in on being people of his glory. What does it mean to be people of his glory? To make room for the glory of the Lord in your life. Uh, I turn to somebody next to you and say, you're a tabernacle. You're the temple. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? You are the tabernacle, you are the temple, you're the dwelling place of God. That he doesn't dwell in, in buildings made by hands, he dwells in you, he lives on the inside of you, and he wants to increase in your life. He wants to increase in your life. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, one of my favorite, of course I say that, I know you all know that, I say that all the time, one of my favorite scriptures, but Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, everybody say exceedingly, exceedingly, abundantly. Paul's making up Greek words here, by the way. It's, he's describing the superabundance of what God is able to do in and through your life. And so as we go into 2023, as we go into this new year, I want to encourage you to, to dive into the superabundance of the Lord. Well, I'm glad somebody agrees with me. Amen. <laughs> I want to challenge you to dig in, to dive into the superabundance of the Lord. Amen. Uh, those that don't know, you can shout me down and I'll just keep preaching. Uh, it's okay. Superabundance. Who is able to do superabundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, uh, I, I don't know where I'm going to end up today, so you just hang on for the ride. Um, 
Above all, though, you can ask or think. I can think of some pretty big things that I'd like the Lord to do. He invites you. Everybody say invites. He invites you to think and to meditate on all of his greatness. Now, why does he do that? He's not egotistical. God's not egotistical. He doesn't sit around in heaven saying, man, I really feel better about myself when Mike thinks about me all day. That's not, that is not the response of God. He, he is perfectly happy in and of himself who he is. It's not egotistical. He understands that when we put him in proper perspective, we see the possibilities that he's working in our lives. So it's not until you see him as Savior that you can receive him as Savior. It's not until you see him as your healer that you receive him as healer. And so when we think about all of his goodness and what he's capable of doing, when we think about how he saved you, when we think about how he healed you, when we think about how he delivered you, when we think about how he provided for you, when we think about how you should have been dead, but you're, you're still here this morning, you're still sucking in air this morning, when, when we think about his goodness, it puts in perspective what he's able to keep doing. It's not that he's, it's not that he needs us to think about him in order for him to act. He's holding the universe right now. He's holding it all together by the word of his power. He doesn't need us to think about him in order to do that. He's already doing it. But when we meditate on who he is, we recognize who it is that's living on the inside of us, and it enables us to align with what he wants to accomplish in the earth. It gives us the opportunity to be co-laborers with Christ and not just spectators. That deserved a shout. It enables us to be co-laborers with Christ and not just spectators. He's going to do what he does, and he does it so well. But he gives us the opportunity to say, I want to do super abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And then he adds, in Ephesians 3.20, I love this, he adds, according to... According to. According to. In other words, in the Greek, it means in proportion. In proportion to what? In proportion to what? The power that is at work in you. He wants to do super abundantly beyond anything you can ask or think. According, in proportion to the power that's at work in you. So this, I, I always ask a question after I read this, how much power is working in your life? Uh, right? How much power? And so if there is a proportionate work of God through your life, it's in proportion to your surrender. Did you hear me? It's in proportion. You could shout, it's okay. It's in proportion to your surrender. The work of God through your life is in proportion to how much you're willing to, I know this ugly four-letter word, yield your life. It's five letters, but you know what I mean. Now, I say all that to say this. 
<laughs> I feel like Paul a little bit when I do that. <laughs> Not that I am any way close to who he is, but uh, I believe that we have seen in the past great moves of God. We've seen him invade the ordinary of our lives in, in incredible ways in the past. If you rewind history and you go back to Azusa Street and, and what happened at Azusa Street, when you go back and you rewind history and you, you go back to the Welsh Revival, you go back and you, and, you, and you look at in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost or the Samaritan Revival or, or the outpouring on the Gentiles at, at, uh, in, in uh, Cornelius' house, as you go through and you, you begin to look at all that God has done, it stirs within me, and I hope that it stirs within you, this desire to say, Lord, will you revive us again? Lord, would you come, just, just as you did on the day of Pentecost, will you come and pour out your spirit again? Lord, just as you did uh, on the island of Wales, Lord, you poured out your spirit in such a powerful way across Wales, and, and, and Lord, you moved in Scotland, the, the Hebrides revival. Lord, as you've done so many times before, we're in a generation that needs you again. Generation to generation, there's, there's this natural ebb and flow of our carnality, right? That, that we, we have seasons where we're awakened to the power and the presence of the Lord, and He visits us with such great great power and great it's it's like an explosion of his power and then there's seasons that follow where where carnality sets in and we find ourselves like the the churches in revelation where we've grown cold and apathetic and and and, and uh, we we've turned off our spiritual fervor and we've lost our passion and then the lord shows up again in his mercy and his faithfulness to revive us we find ourselves in this generation in a season that needs a new awakening, a fresh outpouring of the fire and the presence of the Lord. I thank God for, for the, the trickling of His Spirit. I thank God, uh, my, the title of my message today is From Brooding to Explosion. I thank God that He's brooding over His church, that He stirs His church, but we need a day of His power again. We need a day of the explosive power, the explosive nature of God again in his church. Amen. You know, the, the word revival is, 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 the word revival itself is not in the Bible. It's not, it's, you can't do a word study and find the word revival, but you can find the word revive or awaken, things like that. In Acts 2, 17, I love this. I, I want to give you some scriptures and just kind of dig around here, but in, in Acts 2, 17, God says, in the last days, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I want you to think about the day of Pentecost and what was happening when Peter stood up and he prophesied from Joel this, this passage of Scripture. God, is, God was pouring out His Spirit. There was, a, there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit that was happening. There was an immersion in the Holy Spirit that was happening in Acts chapter 2. And for them, it was 120 in the upper room. But what Peter was saying is this is not just regulated to the 120 that you see receiving this. God says, I want to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. 
And he goes on to describe what that will look like about the sons and the, the daughters and the old men and the young men and all of the things that God wants to do in the earth. He wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And I don't think that that promise has gone away just because we find ourselves 2,000 years later. I believe that God still is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. That's his desire. That is his desire to pour out his spirit on your life. All flesh. In Isaiah 64, 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Lord, would you come down? And I pray, this is, this is a revival prayer. This is a good revival prayer. A prayer for his glory. Lord, would you come down? Can you think back to Moses on the mountain? Can you think back what it was like when the glory came down on that mountain? When Moses went up and, and he received the law from, from the Father and, and he comes down the mountain. The mountain quaked at the, at the glory of the Lord. Thunder and lightning and smoke and the glory of God. I thank God for the, for the, the still moments. I thank, I thank God for the whispers on the mountain. But I also thank Him when His glory comes down the mountain and the mountains quake at His presence. There are seasons in life where we, where we find Him speaking in the still small whispers in the cleft of the rock of the mountain. And there are seasons where like Moses, your face is going to radiate with His glory as you leave that mountain. You've encountered His glory. Something transforms in your life. Can you think about the, the mountain of transfiguration, the glory that came? He wants to transfigure your life. When his glory comes, he, he quakes, he shakes the mountains, and he shakes everything inside of us. You know, if, you, if you've ever been in, in those moments where the glory of the Lord just comes in the room, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I, when I've, when I speak of this, but it, there, there's something that starts quaking, not just in the physical space around you, but the earth responds to his glory, but something begins to quake on the inside of you. There's a, there's a shaking. When his glory comes in the room, there's an awareness like no other. There's an awareness like no other. There's an awareness of his presence. There's awareness of his glory. And you find yourself not in a, in a place of fear and, and terror that he's going to strike you down, but, but there's, this, there's this absolute reverence and awe and fear of the holiness of God. If there is something that we need a reminder of, it is the fear of his holiness, the awe and the reverence of his holiness. Revival awakens being people of his glory, pressing into his glory, awakens the awareness of his holiness. That there's none like him. Oh. I, I told you I didn't know where I'd be going today, so I, I hope you're along for the journey. But when we, when we talk about the holiness of God, the holiness of God... Uh, there's, there's so many passages of, of Scripture that talk about His holiness. One of my favorite is in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has his encounter with the Lord. And, and the angels, the elders, the, the heavenly picture that we see in Isaiah 6, is they're not singing the song of 
mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts, and he is all those things. But the thing that we see consistently repeated in Scripture about the nature of God is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His holiness, what does it mean that he's holy, that God is holy, that there is absolutely no one like him? He is absolutely perfectly righteous in who he is, and there's none like him. Absolutely holy. You can base your life, foundation, bedrock of your life, on the holiness of God because there is no one like him. He cannot lie. He does not change his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's holiness. That's holiness. So, Lord, we're in the heavens. We're in the heavens and come down. I feel that. I, I, if, if, there was, if there was a heavens that needed rending, I feel the, I feel the veil between this, this world and the world to come thinning. It's, it's like the, the tearing of the heavens is happening and the reality of His glory is coming. In Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, another scripture about revive it says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, revive us. In, in, the, in the carnality of the world in which we live, remember this. Remember to revive us. Remember your mercy. Remember to step in. Lord, don't, don't take out your, your full wrath upon us. Remember mercy. Remember to revive and to awaken us. Acts 3.19, one of, again, one of my favorites. Repent. Everybody say, repent. repent. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing, seasons of recovery from heat, is what that means in the Greek. That times of refreshing, times of recovery, shall come from the presence of the Lord. He wants to... Bring recovery in your life. You know, sin has its consequences. We, we live in a sin-filled world. You, you may not be living in perpetual sin today. I, I'm assuming that maybe just by being in church today, that you're a believer, you're walking with the Lord, you're not living in some gross, continual sin. Uh, you know, you're not living in perpetual sin. You really want to pursue the Lord. But we live in a sin-filled world. The curse of sin is all around us. You know, from sickness and disease to the, the division among man and, and the issues with humanity and the fallen race, all of the things we're faced with, and you and I live in this sin-cursed world, right? You have a heartbeat, you're breathing, you live in this sin-cursed world. You live, you know, Paul talked about even in our carnal flesh, we live in a body that is under the curse, we live in a fleshly body. This thing that you see on me lives in a cursed world. I'm shedding this off. I, I'm having to 
you know, day by day, I'm getting closer, and so are you, getting closer to the day where we step into glory. This, this physical body someday is going to be glorified, and I, I'm not going to deal with the restraints of a physical body. I don't have to deal with the curse. It's going to be done away with. But in the meantime, we live in a cursed world. We live in a, in a body that has to be continually, perpetually renewed. Did you hear me? Our, our physical beings, who we are, has to be every day renewed by the presence of the Lord. You cannot do life as a believer without placing a demand on the anointing of God every day to be renewed in His presence. That's how we deal with sickness. It's how we deal with sin. It's how we deal with uh, our carnal thoughts. It's how we deal with our, our minds. It's how everything that we deal with and walk through as believers comes. Acts 3.19. This is a perfect verse for if you're struggling with, with your identity in Christ, if you're struggling with sin, can you put that verse back up? If you're struggling with sin, if you're, if you're struggling with sickness in your body, this verse is great for you. It is a reminder of the covenant that we have with Christ. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from sin. Turn to God. Turn to Him. Be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. That they might be erased. This, this comes from, in, in Bible days, the practice of um, recording the debts that people owed. They would write them in wax. There would be a, a wax tablet that they would write the... the uh, just leave that verse up there if you can. There would be a, a wax tablet that they would write what was the debt. And when you paid the debt, they would take a blotter and heat it, warm it, and blot out the debt out of the wax that you owed. So it was as if that debt never existed. It was blotted out. And so when we turn to God, He blots out. <clears throat> did, did you hear that? He blots out as if it never existed. Whatever record or account was against you. This is, this is re the reviving work of the Lord. I, I, I'm going to keep walking you through this, but we're talking about being people of His glory from brooding to explosion. We want to move from just trickles to explosion. So I'm just laying a foundation here. The, the record of, of wrongs, the record of sin, it may not just be a sin. You know, when we read this, we think sin. We think that there's a, there's a sin account, right? And that is true. There's a sin, there's some sort of disobedience that you've committed. It's been recorded, and, and it is your, your sin. It's there. It's written. The debt that you owe is written, right? There's something written down. But it may not just be sin. It could be sickness. It could be a doctor's report. It could be something that your family has said or a lie that's been etched into your brain. Some of you here this morning, God has, has blotted out the transgressions that were against you, but they are indelibly lodged in your brain. You, you've been telling the cycle of that story for so long that you're, you may not even know that you're living according to that cycle. Do you know that when you turn to God, 
When you repent and turn to God, this isn't just a blotting out of a heavenly account of a debt that you owed. He can blot out the, the guilty conscience that's against you. He can, come on now. He says that he can cleanse your conscience clean as if it never existed. He can blot it out. He can erase it. The lie that's been holding you back, he wants to blot it out as if it never existed. This isn't a self-help message. This is a Jesus help me message. He can set you free. Set you free. Now grace, let me pause and say the work of grace is that you don't keep an account going. <laughs> you, you go into the, to the, to the sin restaurant and say, let me just keep adding it to my tab. Just keep adding it to my, and what you're doing is you're building up a, a perpetual cycle in your own brain. Of course, there's a count against you, but, but you're building up this, this cycle of sin in your own soulish man. And you wonder why you, when you get to the end of 22, why am I not walking in victory yet? Because you've been adding things to your tab. Once it gets blotted out, stop adding to it. <laughs> Right? And then if you have something that comes up, it's not by the intentionality, it's by living in a sin-cursed world, and you're living in a place of constant renewal. Right? So if you would keep going in this verse, it says it would be blotted out that times of refreshing, seasons of recovery may come from the presence of the Lord. He wants to bring recovery to your life. If you keep reading in Acts 3, I think it's verse 20, he talks about the restoration, not just recovery, but restoration, the restoring work of God. So you are being recovered from the effects of the heat, and he wants to restore everything that was taken from you. So when that account is written against you, and the effects of, of the heat come upon you, when, when you're in the sun and you feel dehydrated, you feel like you're losing strength, you feel like you can't continue, you feel like life is happening, and you just can't move on, the presence of the Lord will revive you, will vivify you, and remove the effects from the heat of life and restore you to who you were before the sun ever bared down on you. Man, isn't God good? That's the reviving work of the Lord. So when we talk about revival, when we talk about refreshing, there are people, God wants to fill his house with people. Uh, hear me, the Lord wants to fill his house more than any of us want the house to be filled. I, I think, you know, one of, one of the examples that I have, there's one time that I've seen this building filled and overflowing. Um, some of you were probably there. It was an Easter outreach we did probably eight years ago. And... Um, this, the main floor was filled, the balcony was filled, the altar was filled, the foyer was filled, the, the balcony steps going up to the, the balcony was filled. There was people everywhere. I'm, I'm literally, we had, we had all of our 
volunteer team managing the crowd. I'm literally in the lobby yelling, telling people where to go. Like you can, you can stand in the back of the balcony and just push in, just push in. If it falls, we'll be okay. And it was, I didn't tell them that, but <laughs> I thought it. And it, it was, to me, it was, it was the almond branch. It was the, it, was the, it was the foretaste of what the Lord wanted to do in this building, that he wants to fill his house with people, not for the sake of filling it with people. You can go to a concert hall, a theater, wherever, and, and have it full of people. It's not with the intention of just filling it with people to have people. He's filling his house with people for Acts 3.19. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The people who are hurting and broken and have been impacted by the effects of this sin-cursed world can be transformed and changed by the presence of God. I want you to think about what has the Lord done in your life? over the past, let's just say, eight years. What has the Lord done in your life? I could go around the room and just point out stories of what God has done in this room in people's lives over the past eight years. We could tell stories for days, right? Of how God has set you free, delivered you, healed you. I think, I just want to, and I know you all know Kathy's story, but I'll pick on Kathy. Because she's sitting in almost the front row and I see her. But, but I remember when, when Kathy came into church and she was, she was an alcoholic, you know. She, she was bound by sin and, and, and her, she was living with the man that wasn't her husband. And, uh, and all the things, <laughs> all the things. And how, how the Lord began to convict her and she found herself at the altar and she gave her life to the Lord. And I, I remember the day when she gave her life to Jesus and he set her free. And then, and then I remember her husband saying, well, I'll never, I'll never go to church. I'm not going to that. I was raised Catholic and I, you know, I'm not going to that church. And I remember watching as gradually we started seeing DJ show up at church. He'd be bringing his grandson to church, you know. The Lord will use anything. <laughs> How, the, how his grandson became the, the tool that God used to, to bring him in to the church. And, he'd, and then the next thing, I, I know I'm getting a phone call from Kathy saying, we are living together and we've never gotten married. Can you marry us? We need to get married. And DJ hadn't been to church. He was, he was coming in with the grandson, but he, he agreed to get married, agreed to have a marriage ceremony. So we, they got married out in the lobby. It was me, my wife, and y'all, and... And Jonathan, and she was pregnant with Jonathan. And, and we had a wedding ceremony out in the lobby, and they got married, and, and it was precious. And then little by little, you start seeing DJ come into church and just sit in the back of service. And I remember the day he got born again, right down here. He came down and gave his life to Jesus. And he said... And not only did he get... She walked in here an alcoholic and walked out delivered. He came down to the altar, addicted to cigarettes, through the, I still remember the cigarettes being on the altar when he walked out the doors. Totally changed. 
And we all have those stories. We all have those stories. That is the work of the Lord. He wants to revive. He wants to fill His house with people. He wants to fill the house with the DJs and the Cathy's. He wants to fill the house with the Mikes and, and the Olivia's and the, and the Justin's and the Jessica's and the Owls and the Sue's. He wants to fill the house with people that need to know His glory. <laughs> well, I've made it through a few verses, and not even touch my notes. Let me give you another scripture. <laughs> Zechariah 10. Zechariah 10, verse 1. It says, Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so that the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain, to everyone grass in the field. The Lord wants to pour out His rain, to shower down His rain. That's reviving, that's for the renewing work of the Lord, the, the, the rain of heaven, the downpour, the deluge of heaven. And what is our response? What is our response? We pray this prayer. Lord, would you send the rain? Lord, would you pour out the deluge of heaven? Would you, would you pour out the rain of your spirit again on all flesh? Then the next time you come to church, you better bring your umbrella. <laughs> Say, Lord, I expect the rain. Lord, I expect the rain. I'm not satisfied. I... I, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I'm expecting the rain. In Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, I want to just talk briefly about, and I realize where I'm at on, on time, <laughs> and so I, I want to just... Uh, at least give you the, the context of where I was going today. <laughs> but in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, The earth was without form, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering. Everyone say hovering. He was hovering over the face of the waters. The word hover there is the word brood or to flutter, like a, like a hen flutters her wings. He's fluttering or brooding over the creation. The Holy Spirit was ready to respond to the Father. When, when the Father said, let it be, he was ready to respond to the Father to create. Uh, but, but until that time came... He was present and he was brooding. He was hovering. In the New Testament, we see the same uh, concept, obviously not the Hebrew word, but Greek word. We see the same concept. The Hebrew word is rakaf. It means to brood, flutter, uh, to hover. 
<coughs> in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, we see the Greek concept of this same word when the angel answered Mary and said, the Holy Spirit, the, Mary said, how is this going to happen? How am I going to have uh, a baby? I've not known a man. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so this word overshadow is the same concept as brood and to hover in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the word episkiazo. It means to overshadow. Um, we see it again on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, the cloud overshadowed them. In Mark 9, verse 7, the cloud overshadowed them. And out of the cloud, the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. We also see... The same word, the Greek word, episkiazo, used to brood, to hover, to overshadow. We find it in Acts chapter 5 and verse 15. When the people brought out their sick into the streets, laying them on the cots and the mats, that Peter's shadow might fall on them, that they might be overshadowed. Why? Because Peter was overshadowed by the glory of God. There was, it wasn't just another shadow. It was the shadow of God on his life. And so it's the same, this brooding, stirring, hovering. I, I believe that we have seen in, in the season of the church that we're in a brooding, a hovering, a stirring of the Lord. How do I know that? Because there's, there's spiritual activity happening. It's not the explosive powerful, and we're going to get there, but it's the brooding activity of the Holy Spirit. There's an increase of desire for worship. There's an increase of community and fellowship. There's a, there's a hunger for His Word, and it's, it's like the Holy Spirit is brooding and stirring on the waters. And, and if we pay attention, then we know that the next thing that has to happen is the supernatural explosion of the creativity of the Father when He says, let it be. Um, the, you see this activity in Acts chapter 1. There, there's a hovering, there's a brooding in Acts chapter 1. They're continuing in prayer in Acts 1. It says they were being steadfast in prayer and they were waiting on the day of Pentecost. They were all in one accord waiting and gathered in the upper room and everyone said, suddenly there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Suddenly there was a God moment where brooding and hovering became an explosion. There is a season in which we're living that we're moving from brooding and hovering to an explosion. God wants to move us from a season of increased just uh, brooding, hovering spiritual activity to the day of Pentecost where there's a great demonstration of power. Uh, let me explain it to you like this. If you were to go and to drill a hole in, in, the, in a, uh, a dam of water, there's, there's a, a dam that is holding back a body of water. If you put a hole underwater where the dam is, what's going to happen? 
all of the pressure of that water that is stored up behind that dam is going to try to push its way through that little hole, and eventually there's going to be a breakthrough that happens. If I could describe to you what the Lord wants to do in the spiritual realm is that He has created holes, if you will. There's, there's places, there's people who are saying, Lord, we're hungry for more. We're desperate for more. And it's like little holes in the dam, and he's saying, I've stored up a great dunamis power in your life, and it's about ready to break through on the world around you. That's what he wants to accomplish. And when we all get together, and, and we're all experiencing that, it's like we're all little holes on the dam, there's a great rush of dunamis power and demonstration of power by the Lord. It, there are two significant things that must happen for revival to take place. One, it is the sovereignty of God. One, it is the divine moment. It is that suddenly moment where God says, now is the time. In the fullness of time, Christ came. Suddenly, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Look at how God orchestrated all that happened on the day of Pentecost. All of the nations had gathered for the, for the feast. It was the day when the fullness of the day of Pentecost had come. All the things that had to be arranged for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to go global and not just be an isolated group. Everything had been arranged and set in order. All of the nations were present in Jerusalem at the time that God poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They were all spectators to what was happening in the upper room. Why? Because this was for all flesh. It was not just limited to the people in Jerusalem. It was not just limited to the Jewish people. We see that in Acts chapter 10. It's the same situation at Cornelius' house. There was a divine moment where God began to pour out his spirit on all of the Gentiles. They had gathered together in Acts 10 in Cornelius' house, and the Bible says that while Peter was still speaking, he was in the middle of preaching. You wonder why the preacher goes so long? Because I'm waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <coughs> There was a divine moment where God said, now is the time. Yeah. And number two, man had to be prepared. Yeah. There had to be spiritual preparation on humanity's part. God did a supernatural work, but man had to align with what God was saying. If you look over, the, you know, of course, in Acts 2, they were continuing steadfastly in prayer. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received, until you've been baptized. And they continued, Acts 1.14, they continued steadfastly in prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, there's an outpouring, suddenly moment. If they were not in the upper room waiting, continuing in prayer, they wouldn't have experienced the suddenly moment. 500 people, according to 1 Corinthians, had an invitation, 120 stayed.
God wants to move from brooding to powerful explosion of his presence. In Acts 1, we see the outpouring of his power. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, Jesus speaking said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Dunamis, miracle, working power. In Acts 11, Peter was describing what happened at Cornelius' house. He was trying to explain to them the outpouring of power that came in Acts chapter 11. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Just like he did in Acts 2, he did it in Acts 10 on the Gentiles. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand the Lord? Rush of his power. Who could withstand God and the outpouring of his power upon the Gentiles? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentile repentance to life. How did they know? Because they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the day of his outpouring, the day of his power, was not universally accepted by everyone. <laughs> People didn't just line up and say, oh, I want that. I want that. You see those drunk people? They're acting really foolish. I want that. No, actually what they did, they did line up. But what they were lining up and saying was that they were astonished. They were bewildered. The Bible says they were perplexed and questioning. They were even accusing them of being alcoholics. The church people were being accused of being alcoholic. Why? Because there was such a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. It went from brooding to power. Brooding to explosion. God wants to explode in our day with His glory. An explosion of His glory. An explosion of His power. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for that? Are you, are you yearning for that in your heart? How do, we, how do we become spiritually prepared for that? Well, we can look at Mary. We can look in Acts 2. Mary's response when the angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. What was her response? Let it be to me. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But let it be unto me. Jesus told his disciples to tarry, to wait in Jerusalem. And what did they do? They continued steadfastly in prayer and waited. Number two, we have to be committed at all cost. His glory will cost you. We read it this morning from Second Chronicles, the Solomon's temple, the dedication, 120,000 sheep, 20 whatever thousand bulls. It's costly to host his glory. It will cost you your reputation. All of a sudden, you go from being the good church person, the good person, to being the alcoholic, the drunk, so to speak. You know, they're accusing you of things. Look at how foolish they are. They're rolling around on the floor. They're speaking in some unknown language. They're laughing hysterically. They're, they're doing all of these things. 
It will cost you. It cost Mary. It cost Mary to be overshadowed with the glory of God. The Bible says in Matthew 1, 19 and 20 that Joseph wanted to put her away. He wanted to silently, quietly divorce her, put her away. She was a carrier of the glory, but we don't want to have a bad reputation. We don't want to be that person. Did you know about Mary? I mean, she's married and she's pregnant, but or they're, they're engaged and she's pregnant. What's going on? She's having, what's going on? What's happening? You see, when you become the house, a dwelling place for his glory and his power, the unrighteous won't understand it. And, and, and I, I'm sad to say church people won't get it either. When you start talking about the glory, most church people say, oh, I know about the glory. I know the presence of the Lord. I get goosebumps every Sunday. We sing songs, and I feel, I feel good. I get goosebumps. I feel, and that's what they equate to the glory. I felt good. I got touched. I went down to the altar. Maybe somebody prayed. I felt him. I got touched. And that's what people equate to his glory. And that's, that's only the beginning. That's just, that's just God saying, here's a little taste. I have so much more. Yes. Commitment at all costs. I love Malachi chapter 4 when it says there's a day coming where the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his, in his wings. I love the picture of, of God rising as the son of righteousness with healing. But it is preceded by, Malachi chapter 4, is preceded by Malachi chapter 3. And Malachi chapter 3, I know you know it, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Will you rob God? Oh, this isn't an offering message, but we have to understand there's a cost for revival. God said, bring all the tithes that there might be food in my house. Follows it, chapter 4, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his beams. If you, if you want to be a place for his glory, there's a cost. It's not just a spiritual cost or a reputational cost. There's a physical cost. You have to, you have, to have the building open. You have to have a ministry happening. There's a cost. We have to be committed at all costs. And you have to continue to be desperate for him. You have to rely on him. Mary couldn't do it in her own strength. The, the disciples, the apostles in the upper room, they couldn't do it in their own strength. We were absolutely desperate. What brought us into the desire for him is the thing that sustains us in it. We have to stay desperate. And if you find your hunger waning, if you find yourself being distracted by the things of the world and not being hungry for him, then my goodness, might that be a sign to you to find yourself on your face and saying, Lord, restore my hunger again. I've, I've allowed the, the distractions of this life to get in the way. And then lastly, number four, you have to receive. You have to put yourself in a place to receive. 
the apostles in the upper room had to receive. They couldn't just make themselves speak in tongues. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. They had to receive the work of the Lord. They had to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Mary had to cooperate with the work of God in her life. She had to become a vessel to carry the, the, the Savior of the world. She had to be a person that could carry Jesus. She had to take care... She, all the women in the room who have had babies know that you can't starve yourself when you're pregnant. You can't, you can't abuse your body when you're pregnant. You have to take care of yourself. You're, you're, you have a baby that is developing on the inside of you. Your caloric intake goes up. Your need for exercise goes up. Your need for sleep goes up. Everything gets multiplied when, you, when you're pregnant, right? The same was true with Mary. We, we have this idea that it was some sort of immaculate thing and then all of a sudden, her life just went immaculate. It was all, it was all roses and, and, and happy story. She was pregnant. She had a baby growing in her. She had to steward what God gave her. And you and I have to steward and receive from the Lord and steward what he gives us. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I feel the hunger in the room. I feel like I could just keep preaching. I think, I think you all would just keep going with me. I, I feel like I could just keep rolling and, and you would just go with me. I, I don't want to wear you out. I want you to leave hungry. Oh, Lord. There must be more. There must be more. Lord, we want to be people of your glory. We want to be people that house your glory. We want your presence. We want your glory. Lord, stir in us. Stir in us an awareness of what you're doing in this moment. This moment of our lives, this moment of history.